everybody and welcome to the 80th episode of the oldest nuggets podcast in english hosted by a south european guy under five foot eleven welcome to the dnvr nuggets is serbian corner my name is miroslav Cuk. i'm calling from studio p in panjevo serbia and please let me recap the week behind us using a semi-serious but factually accurate tone The Nuggets week started with the NBA champions visiting Washington, D.C. without a visit to the White House. The Wizards were great hosts, as usual, and showed little resistance versus the superior team. Our guy, West Ansel Jr., uh, decided to defend Jokic with a single coverage, which resulted in 15 made shots from the paint on 75% efficiency. That was 42-12-8-2-2 with zero turnovers, or as I call it, not even a somber double. I'm disappointed, dear Nicola. Jamal took the most shots, 23. He even made some of them, 30% of them to be exact. The bench scored only 12 points, but it was a Jordan Poole-led team, so that was enough. Last note, Wes Ansel Jr. is not the head coach of the Washington Wizards anymore, but he is still with the team in a front office role because the Wizards are cheap, I'm guessing. After that, we saw a trade where scary Terry Rozier went to the Heat and enforced my feeling that the Heat has a very legitimate shot at getting out of the East, which would be hilarious after all the Celtics, 76ers and Bucks hype we've seen so far. And when I mentioned Bucks, I have to give an apology to Yanis. I was always among mostly Serbian fans who discredited his basketball skill, but he has improved his efficiency tremendously. It took him two non-championship seasons to throw Mike Budenholzer under the bus, but only three months to do the same with Adrian Griffin. Dr. Glenn Rivers is back in action. It didn't work for the Clippers. It didn't work for the 76ers. But I have a feeling it will work for us, was what Yanis said to himself, probably. Two days later, the good guys were already in Indianapolis for a rematch against the Pacers. This time, their big acquisition, Pascal Siakam, was in the lineup. Tyrese Halliburton was out again. And this is where I have to issue another apology. Last show, I said that the Pacers are the last team Nikola Jokic didn't record a triple-double against, but that wasn't true. Nikola did record the triple-double this time, and now we know he still needs to do that against the Wizards. And what a triple-double it was. It was secured after the third quarter, but the thing I took away from the game were all of his three three-pointers. The first one with the buzzer at the end of the second quarter, the second one late in the fourth, and the third one uh, was the game clincher several seconds before the end. Jamal had a positive amplitude game in this one, 31, 8, and 7. KCP had a volcano-like two-minute stint, and Reggie was good off the bench. Enough for a good road win. Two days later, Nikola Jokic and his entourage visited the U.S. capital of Trotters, New York City. And of course, after a night spent there, it was time for their weekly reminder to me not to fly too high with this team. Jokic was very good, even after getting fingered in his eye, but Jamal was atrocious and MPJ too. Gordon was almost invisible, so it resulted in a 38-point loss. Just in time to wake up before the last game of the week, I thought at that point. Finally, the game we've been all waiting for, a rematch versus the Sixers. 
three hours before the game, it appeared everybody would be playing, but then the last injury report came out and Maxi and Tobias Harris were out. A great spot for Embiid to be in, I thought. He can go for 50 and nobody would blame him for losing since he doesn't have his main guys. And then I already had the game on. Players were on the court for their last round of shots before the start of the game just to see a Vogue bomb saying that Joel Embiid is actually ducking the Denver game for the fifth season in a row. That's enough of a tease for our first segment. It is time to introduce my guest for today. He is one of the brightest stars in the Nuggets media. He is a co-host of the Locked on Nuggets podcast and also a host of the Swiping with Swipa podcast and Swipa Cam YouTube channel, a contributor for the Mile High Sports, but most importantly, a very good guy, Swipa. Welcome back to the show, my man. What's up, brother Miroslav? Thanks for having me. So you're calling from Denver. You're staying in Denver for, for some time now. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial plan, I guess, for you, you was to see both John Bid and Yanis Retokumbo uh, playing in, in the mile high. The first part did, didn't really <laughs> turn out good. Yeah, I'm very glad I didn't you know, only plan the Philly trip that I would have wasted. A, not wasted, because I still got to see a bunch of people out here, but... Yeah, it was definitely a part of the plan to see Embiid in person live. Uh, I've seen a lot of players so far uh, this year. And Embiid, you know, arguably this year would have been the best that I got to see in person, man. So, you know, it's really unfortunate. Uh, everything was adding up, leading up to it. You know, we had the Ramona Shelburne report on Friday. That he is not on the interview report. Everything is good to go. And literally, you know, a couple minutes for the game, it came out that his knee was bothering him, which is legit, you know, because he did hurt it versus the Pacers. So, yeah, so that was unfortunate we didn't get that matchup. So I was really angry at Embiid last year when he talked to Shams Sharania, mostly to trash Nikola Jokic's MVP case and yeah. to have it published the day before ducking a game in Denver again. But I feel like this is a new low. And I, I have a theory on what happened yesterday. Um, Joel Embiid keeps saying he's a troll and he, that is supposed to pardon every bullshit he pulls left and right. And mm-hmm. everybody knows... He ducks not only games in Denver, but also so many away games against good teams. What he did yesterday wasn't a move of a troll. It was a move of a politician, I think. His mm. team spins his every move so he can still be respected by his own fans. He doesn't care about what the other fan bases think, but he does caters to his own fans like an effing politician. This time he wanted to play badly, but the medical stuff stopped him 20 minutes before the game after not being on the injury report at all. I, I'm I'm disgusted. I mean, th- there is a fine for the Philly for this, but I mean, is that enough to 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 bring everybody who came to the game, you know, to a, to a peace? Look, you know, Michael Malone did say after the game uh, when we got a chance to talk to him that he doesn't understand how he went from active to out without being on an injury report. And he said that's frowned upon around the NBA. So I'm sure the NBA will invest, investigate. And I think from his standpoint, it wasn't even the Jokic and Bede matchup. It was that they had game planned for a bead. So they had set everything in their minds. They were mentally like prepared to have to deal with that. And literally five minutes before the game, Jamal Murray's on the court and someone's breaking the news to him that a bead's not going to be playing. Like, so Embiid, let me, Miroslav, let me explain this to you. It wasn't warm-ups. This was like teams came out of the huddle. Yeah. We're in layup line. 
Like, we're putting shots up. And I'm looking at, like, okay, B's coming out a little bit late, but I just see him on the court. And literally, literally, I'm sitting next to Denver staff, uh, and I'm sitting next to some 76ers beat riders. We all were shocked. And there were 76ers beat riders next to me that were like, and B's out. I said, huh? I just saw him. And they're like, no, he's out. Uh, knee soreness. And they were shocked because, again, it wasn't that Embiid got hurt versus the Pacers. We knew that I said I saw, but it was the fact that he stayed in the game. So at that point, I'm like, oh, he's fine. Then he's cool. Like, if he stayed in the game, he played 31 minutes that night. And then the next day, it got to Ramona Shelbourne and ESPN that he's good. He's locked in. Get ready for a good matchup. Tyree Baxter, Tobias Harris, they're on the injury report. So we were expecting that they were going to be iffy. But then the beat gets there, and literally, man, and it was just such a shock of everything. So I think the fact that he hasn't played in Denver in four years, plus the stuff you talked about with the Shams article last year and then ducking and missing the game after playing a back-to-back, misses the Nuggets game, and then played every other game after that. Like, it's just – it's all the stuff put together that I think that made people the most frustrated. And I actually think this is really important for me because I want to ask you a question, Merslaw, because I know how, like, Nuggets fans – and how the general NBA media feels about it. I know a lot of people, like Lakers commentators, like people that don't represent Denver at all, they felt a way about it. But I, what do you think is the general, like, do Serbians that you connect with, do they feel a way about, like, a beat, like his play style or some of the antics? Or, like, are, are they also as, like, kind of incensed about some of the stuff as maybe just some of the general American viewers might also be feeling right now? Well, uh the the biggest thing for Serbian fans, I believe, is the fact that he keeps ducking playing in Denver, more th- more so than you know the free throw stuff and stuff like that. Yeah. Because people are not, if you if you talk to the you know random people on the street, they're not super keyed in on the numbers of free throws right. and stuff like that. It's just, and I mean, this it's something you you would expect. And I was actually of the opinion that Embiid gets a lot more free throws in regular season than in the playoffs, but that's actually not true. Like mm-hmm. his, for his career, he's like 11.5 in the regular season and 9 point something in playoff. Mm-hmm. Not, not such a dramatic drop-off. So it's not like he's doing something that only relates to the regular season and that's something we should be... Uh, no, I, I, I always say that Embiid is a great, great player. It's just the other stuff, the stuff beyond the court the 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 you know playing to be a, a troll or stuff like that and then at the end of the day the result is always the same he just does not appear it's not only denver he's played three times for his whole, whole career in utah and two times in denver that's out of it's not 20 chances but you know he's been injured here and there but mm-hmm. there, there have been i mean there it's it's impossible for him to be injured every time around his opposed to 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 go to 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 the mountains and and play and mm-hmm. you have this this theory that his his conditioning is not as great as people might think and this is something that will show up mostly mostly on on high altitude uh, we have a good question here from THTR in the chat who asked does NBA media and fans have short-term memory with Embiid. Fifth year missing the matchup, constantly bounced in the second round, and yet the pressure seems to be so little in terms of expectations. Do you believe that the pressure on Embiid is still low? So it's kind of nuanced. Like, you saw Bob Myers yesterday uh, on NBA Today, 
he said, uh, I would rather have a bead in the game seven than Joker, right? And I think some of that is like, when you look at a bead, like as a pull-up shooter, he shoots, shoots such high volume at 50%, and he's averaging 36 on the season. So all that put together is super efficient. I think, and he's also a great defender. I think people see that, and they get lost in like, that's what's telling me is valuable. Even though it's not correct, because he's never won a game seven. Jokic is three and one in game seven, 24, 16, and seven in those matchups. And I haven't seen one since he's been at his apex MVP point, the series don't go that long. But I think some of this is that Embiid has managed to gain a lot of sympathy because of the injuries, because having Ben Simmons on this team or having James Harden on his team, and he's been able to kind of mitigate, and Doc Rivers, like mitigate the lane a little bit. But the issue is, like, every time people talk about Embiid's best playoff performance, Miroslav, they bring up 2019 versus the Raptors. But he averaged, like, 17, 9, and 3, on like four and a half turnovers a game on 39% from the field. But because his plus minus was so high and he's such a good defender, everybody kind of gives him a pass. But I think the issue is that Jokic was the first team all NBA player that year. And his first playoff run averaged 25, 13, and eight. And he shot 84% from the line and 41% from three, if I remember correctly. So I think they have just been held to different standards because of the way they've been talked about. Like Jokic two years ago really started getting talked about like as this generational player, like when, you know, Nick Wright would push back so much, like he might be the six or seven best player in the league. You're giving him too many MVPs, all this other stuff. But I think some of this is like Joker because of the analytics, like got all this love and praise and, and all this stuff. But the issue is Embiid, Embiid's in Philly, the fourth largest market in the NBA. He is a tantalizing two-way talent. So it should translate to like playoff dominance. So I think people are just like hoping every year he's able to turn the corner. And because of the injuries, it always gives him an out. I wonder what you think about the the late game situations in playoffs with uh, with superstars with such high uh, um, usage like Joel has. His usage is high and is I I believe it's actually growing. Because you don't get to, to to score 70 points unless you take like how many points he took like 45 point 45 shots in that game plus another 20 something free throws. So that's a lot of possessions. And if you have four guys just standing there while you are shooting, what how does it bode for the late game execution uh, in the playoffs? Yeah, so that's actually an interesting one. So, you know, I saw the graph you put up uh, about the top 10 scoring seasons based on points per game and efficiency and where they ended up. Uh, but Ryan Russillo actually did that a couple of years ago because he was tracking Luca and basically where's the furthest they gone. It was basically the Western Conference Finals for a player that's like top 20 in usage. How does that translate regular season to playoffs? So some of this is, I think this is where a lot of the fatigue and injury comes from. It's very hard to be like a huge person and to dominate the ball, move around, jump, run, cutting, navigating, to do that and then to do it for 82 games and then to get in the playoff versus like set half-court defenses and everybody is upping their physicality, the whistles are being blown differently, the shot selections are much more difficult, meaning your shot quality is harder. So everything affects how you're playing. So I think when you're trying to carry over a lot of usage then you get into a playoff setting, your efficiency drops as a whole. And if everybody else is like not locked into what they're doing. And another great thing that I think I love about playoff basketball, Miroslav, is that the reason why Boston, for instance, really struggles in the playoffs is 
they have a really great offense. They have a great three-point shooting offense. But it gets harder. Those shots in the fourth quarter in the regular season are not the same shots in the fourth quarter in the playoffs because you're tired and everything is that much harder. So I think for Embiid, the reason he struggles is because he's a very great player and a great skill set. But I don't think that he has the kind of body or mentality to be able to carry every single game through a seven-game series past the first round and you get rid of a, an easy opponent. Because I think the Heat, Boston, you get uh, uh, the Bucks, and then maybe even the Knicks this year. Knicks, yeah. All of those teams, like, they are just so cued into the defensive cues, and they're going to take advantage of any any kind of weakness you have. And Embiid, obviously, double-team, passing. He's not had a playoff run when he had more uh, assists and turnovers yet, too. So a lot of that just speaks to, I just don't think sometimes his game as a ball player necessarily translates because we just haven't seen a primary jump shooting big dominate through a playoff run unless you're a power forward like Dirk or Kevin Garnett or something. Yeah, and I, I always remember the old story about Michael Jordan. When he came to the league, he was such an incredible scorer. He was scoring like... Uh, 35 points per game on like 55% from the field, which right. was insane, insane efficiency for that time. And, you know, time when teams scored like 90, 95 points per game. So those 35 points were huge, but he couldn't get past uh, a lot of rounds in the, in the playoffs until he completely changed his mindset and, and turned into more of a team player. And then, of course, the history told us what happened. Okay, let's take the first break, and then we'll talk what actually happened in the game against Philly. Don't go anywhere. Okay, so, the actual game. Philly was missing most of its starters. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess you can say that uh, Nicholas Batum was probably their only star regular starter that was playing in this game. Um, I'm trying to think about the other guys that were playing. But the Nuggets didn't take advantage of that, really. It was a it was a drag of a game for, for all four quarters. The, the, were you surprised by, by that? Or maybe it was logical when, when you think about uh, the, the change of uh, atmosphere that happened in a second just before the game? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the whole crowd was flat. The room was flat. Everything was flat once Embiid went out. So I just think everything changed. And Nick Nurse did an incredible job mucking up the game by the fact that he played zone when Jokic went out versus the second unit. He did a box and one on Jamal Murray. He just like – Nick Nurse did a really incredible coach, and I think he got all the guys to buy in. Patrick Beverly had 17 points and 11 assists, his first double-double of the year. Um, you have uh, – Obviously, B-Ball Paul had 30 points and 13 rebounds on 14 to 21, two of four from three. Like, they just showed up. Like, they just made sure that they were not going to let it be a letdown spot on their end, and they tried to win the game, and they almost did. Uh, but the Nuggets obviously woke up. I think some of this is, it's like, it's really hard to go from having a game plan and a mindset. Like, okay, I'm about to play with one of the best players in the NBA, and I know that I need to be able to lock in on, like, what our defensive coverages look like. And I know that more is going to be asked of me, for instance, like Jokic. But as soon as he's not in the game, Jokic is like, I'm not about to show out for these dudes. You know, he if he could have had it his way, he would have had eight points yesterday like he did versus the Mavericks when they blew him out. But I think the Nuggets, man, they've always kind of really had to find a, a, a fine line between getting the job done and then, like, 
sending a message versus a lesser team. They just don't like blow out like lower end teams all that often. I mean, even think about it. The Memphis Grizzlies, when they were struggling this year to start the year off, when they terrible. Remember, Jamal Murray had to be great down the stretch of that game. He hit like a step back versus Marcus Smart and to deliver the game. Peyton Watson had all the blocks that game. They didn't blow them out either. They didn't blow out the Wizards. They beat the Pacers. Uh, they, I think they beat the Wizards by nine points this last time in Washington. And Jordan Poole had like seven points. So, like, they don't – They, I think it's really hard for them at this point. They want to get the job done, Miroslav, versus anybody. But they don't, like, get excited and, like, we need to give max effort unless it's a big game and uh, if they need to make a statement for something. Like, I think a Bucks game, I think that Thunder game that we have coming up, I think those are going to be two really good games where the Nuggets are like, all right, especially versus the Thunder. You know, you got wiped out, got 93 points on your home floor and a second night of a back-to-back. I think they actually – did they lose to – that's the time they lost to the Magic and OKC in a back-to-back? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Embarrassing. So, I think they will come out like – wanting to establish themselves in that game, and you'll see the best out of them. But I just think it's really hard for them to do that versus teams that they just know don't have a real chance. Yeah, this was actually the sixth game of their road trip, if you think about it. It's the first game after the road trip. It's still traveling. It's not You are sleeping in your own bed, but but you're still kind of in a traveling mode. So I can, I can understand it a bit, but on the other side... It's a, it's a big rival. Yeah, I know they didn't have their main guys, but you're still playing against the the second stringers and third stringers in this game at home. So you you should be you should be mm-hmm. better than that. Did would you call Nikola Jokic's first half a no show in that game, or was it just you know uh, too passive or or maybe even passive I mean, aggressive? It was a, a no show, but it's just a, it's a typical like. Even the 76ers fans, like some of them were joking about B-Ball Paul playing them, some meant it, but they just said he was sleepwalking through the first half. Well, yeah, I mean, he took like three shots. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't, and I don't think he was trying to like be disrespectful, but that, that game shouldn't require me to have to do much of anything other than set y'all up. Again, the Nuggets were missing bucket loads of shots. And the reason that it was such a close game, it wasn't because the offense, the defense was horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Like, they gave up, like, a, uh, I think it was like a 73 effective field goal percentage or something like that in the first half. Like, it's just unacceptable. So, I think that Jokic is of the mindset, like, versus Detroit, when they had four points. Okay, y'all. Y'all got this. I'm going to set y'all up. Wide open shots. We're going to lock in when we need to lock in. I'll finish once or twice. But really, you shouldn't need me to do much. I think he was in that mindset in the first half. But then the second half came around. It's like, all right, I got to take over. You can score 20 points and then, you know, put the game away. Yeah, and even even Philly without six guys is still stronger than, than Detroit. And uh, interesting news, interesting news, uh, uh, Detroit just won a game against OKC. They did. I know. And, and we will put the pin on that for the end of the show because some interesting stuff is, is happening on the top of the West right now okay um let's let's now move to the to the new york game and the reason i want to go there is not so much you know the blowout loss i mean it those things happen from time to time do you usually have two or three such games in a 82 uh, game season but we had nikola jokic playing a pretty good game in that in that game we should not lose a game by 38 points when Nikola has like what 31 
12 and 7, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, it was a good game. <laughs> we had Jamal Murray and Michael Porter combining for like single digit points mm-hmm. in that game. That's not something that, 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 and I actually have kind of an excuse for Michael Porter because when, when Jamal is playing really bad, it's really hard for Michael to get into the rhythm uh, of game. May, I'm, I might be wrong on that. But what can you tell me about? Jamal's crazy amplitudes of high and low kinds of game. And they're basically like one good, one bad game in a row. Well, since Jamal had a stretch, I mean, honestly, since he's actually been really good since January, uh, really since he came back from injury. The problem with Jamal is, is that, well, not even Jamal, but we are slow. They get down like 18 to 5. Like in the first few minutes of the game. I'm talking about OG and OB is hitting three pointers. Dante DiVincenzo is and I'm just like, oh my goodness. I'm like, all right, well, maybe recalibrate. This is the last game of a road trip. Now, typically, last game of a road trip, teams get blown out anyway. So I'm like, all right, well, let's hope they are able to rally. Man, that first quarter, it was a tidal wave. The the New York Knicks were playing like it was a playoff game. I'm talking about they're like, you know, they're putting hands everywhere. Screen, 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 screen. I'm just like, ah, oh, leave. Like, you know, the Nuggets are uh, you know, last game in New York type thing, and nobody but Joker showed up. And what was so funny, Miroslav, is that remember the pass that he threw to uh, Michael Porter that went out of bounds, but he like oh, yeah. fired the ball, and then it went through his hands. Yeah, I think Joker was pissed because he's like, I showed up. What's everyone else doing today? So I think some of this is, is the last game of a road trip. Jamal didn't have a good game, but I'm telling you, they, I just don't think they were ready for how good New York's been lately. And they just weren't expecting them to just come out and, like, jump on them. Like, again, it might as well have been like you were playing versus the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first round. Like, that's, that's what it felt like. And so I think the next time they play them, if they're everybody's at the, on the court, they're just going to have a different approach because they just can't take that team, like, unserious. But the Nuggets haven't taken a team serious since Boston. So I think that's the other thing, too. They took Boston serious. They didn't take the Patriots serious. They didn't take the Wizards series. They didn't take the Knicks series. And then they didn't take the Sixers series. So they, but they're just winning. They, they're four and one over that stretch as well. So some of this is just like, when they need to lock in, they will. It's just, it feels like they're in like, uh, what, uh, January 28th. Mm, you know, all right, we'll give 70%, basically. You know, it doesn't feel like they're fully like at their pinnacle. They're kind of waiting in the, in the, Waiting in the bushes a little bit, that makes sense. I haven't heard a lot of things about this game from the national side of media. And I actually feel, and NBA media is pretty strange, I kind of feel that the 38-point blowout meant less than if the game was like a 10-point loss. I I kind of believe that everybody would be talking about the Knicks, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, muscling out the win against the Nuggets in a close game. But when it's a blowout, it's like, yeah, they just didn't didn't came to play. Right. Yeah, I think if you get such an aberration, like even this Celtics game they just played, they just got destroyed by the Clippers. Okay, there's no Chris Doc. Do we think that they're actually, you know, 20 points better than the Celtics on their home floor? Well, no. So I think it's also an 82-game season. You just know you're going to get stuff like this. So I just think that for New York, they're getting impressive wins for the teams in the conference. That's what's helping them. The Denver Nuggets are in their conference, and everybody understands like it's it's a 
last of a five-game road trip. There's just no reason to make any deal about this because we don't think that they're beating the Nuggets anyway. So there's nothing to talk about, like, if we get in a playoff setting. So, and again, bro, I think respect him as a man. But, bro, I'm not – Julius Randle in a playoff, bro, I'm not worried about him in Islam, like, one bit. And, like I said, OG and Obi playing really well. Quentin Grimes was amazing. Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Hart, they got some dogs. Some dogs on their roster. I'm actually really excited to see how they play in the playoffs. Yeah, one one last note about the, the, the Philly game. I just remembered it, and uh, it connects to this newer game where, where Jamal didn't really play, play in. Um, during those minutes, just before the Voge bomb that Embiid is not playing, the camera was focused on Jamal, at least in my broadcast that I was watching, for like three consecutive minutes. And I was watching him, and as I said, it was basically their sixth uh, sixth road game because it was the first game after the road uh, road trip. And he looked gassed to me. He looked like he... They it didn't even start, and he was like huffing and puffing. How did it look to you? You know, yeah, yeah from the from the uh, so, from the just, place. Uh, right. So game. when you're at the game, you know, you get to see everything. Like you know, obviously, yeah. you know, eventually you will as well. They were the, the Nuggets were given like a run to the Knicks for uh, to the seventy six. They must have like like a seven zero run or something like that. Jamal is literally like I think it's, it's a shot he got blocked. And he went down the court, and there's like a little timeout. Jamal was laughing. He was laughing. He wasn't even like in the mindset of phase. His his eyes, like you know, versus Boston when or in the playoff when Jamal's like locked in, like his eyes, you can see it. Jamal was like laughable. He just was really relaxed. Some of this is, I think he just look. I think sometimes he just lollygags sometimes. Like I think he just kind of like goes through the motion. It's like hezzy hezzy. Tween, 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 you know, behind the back, step back, jump shot. But then Jamal started the game off really well. He was 3-3 from three. I think he had five threes in the first half, I want to say. So if he was getting what he wanted, but I, I just think yesterday, man, um, I don't know if it's in shape. Because I think if I were to ask Jamal about that, he wouldn't say it's a shape. I think that he would just say sometimes that's just the way the season ebbs and flows. That's, that's, like, that's at least the kind of – uh, way that I've seen from Jamal in the press conferences. I, I think I don't think if you asked him, like you say, I'm struggling to breathe because this is they played. What's the record right now, Miroslav? Oh, that's it's, a good uh, question. They're like 17 games above 500, something like so that. So the the Nuggets are currently sitting at 32 and 15, right? Yeah. So they have played 47 games. Jamal's played 33 games. At this point, he's in midseason shape. So I don't think it's out of shape. I just feel like sometimes he gets gassed at different points in the games because of what he's doing. And then also, since Julius Strauss has been out, he's also had an uptick in minutes next to Reggie. And so I think sometimes, like, that's kind of really worked against him a little bit. Because he, remember, versus Boston, he played, like, 38 minutes. And versus Drew, Derek, Jalen, and Jason. Oh, it didn't matter. Like, fourth quarter, <laughs> you know, like, whatever he needed to do. So I think it's just like a game flow thing for him. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I I was trying to to actually find a, a historic comp to him, like a like a underwhelming regular season player and then a total beast in the in the playoffs. And the best I could have come up was Jimmy Butler, really. And right. if you if you want to 
compare anybody to Jimmy Butler. That's a pretty cool comp. I mean, right. I, I don't think he would mind that, right? No, they play in the playoffs <laughs> and Jamal are better than him in the finals. So I think yeah. Jimmy's a great player, man. And this is why I think the Heat are going to be just as formidable. Everybody's like, oh, they don't look as good, blah, blah, blah. Like, bro, Hold bro, that We'll ahead, talk ahead, about the heat at the end. Okay, let's let's take one short break and and then we'll come back with some uh, roster questions. Don't go anywhere. Okay, so this is something I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you with because I didn't mention it on our docket. So the Nuggets are 2015 bench scoring with almost 30 points per game, and other notable teams are Miami is 11th with almost 37. Clippers are 13th with 36. OKC is 15th with 34. Milwaukee 19th. Minnesota 23rd. And then you get to Boston, who is 27th. Right. And and the Sixers, who are 30th in bench scoring. Yeah. So we, we, we often hear it, especially online, that the Nuggets need to find somebody that will score points of the bench, but do you need, think that the Nuggets roster needs a shakeup before the trade deadline, or do you think this is just by the design? I think not having Blocko, I think that is a big deal. I think he is a six foot eight, 230, 25 pound dude that plays the four, and he's a shooter and he's an athlete. I think that's a big deal this year because they had Jeff Green for that, you know, six foot eight, 230 pound player that could like body up some fives, body up on wings. They're missing that because I told people from the get-go, don't don't put Peyton Watson as power forward. It's not that he can't play. He's just physically not ready yet. He's still like a young not man. Yet. But he's a two, he's a three right now. And I think ultimately that's what he becomes in his prime because he's a actually shifty ball handler a little bit and can play make some. Um, I think they need a four. Like, But they could even do like a Thaddeus Young. They don't even have to have something like crazy. Just can you have somebody that's like switchable on defense, that if you ask to shoot 35% from open, wide open three-pointers, can they do it? That's what Jeff Green was. Jeff Green shot like 31% from three, like in the playoff or something like that. So they just need a more physically imposing four, I would say, because AG's going to play um, with the bench as the five anyway in the offs. So I think that's what I would do. But scoring, man, like the Nuggets got a lot of scores. Their system lends itself to scoring with the starters. And I think you brought up such a great point about, like, the benches of these elite teams. Every elite team, every elite team struggles with the bench. Every one of them does. Yeah. Because they all have really, really, really expensive starting lineups. Yeah. Like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both going to be making $300 million, like, in a year. Yeah. Like, they're, and Kristoff is on the ride. Derek White's there. Drew Holiday got a four-year, like, 130, 140 deal. So you can't afford bench players. So... I think some of this is, do you have a top seven that you trust? And I think the Nuggets do. They're starting five, and I think Reggie Jackson, who they're playing, but I think Peyton Watson, that's probably their seven right now with Christian Brown as well. People are agreeing with, with your Vlatko take, and I, I agree with it as well. It's not that Vlatko would score like 10 points per game, but he's a connector. Mm -hmm. He would help that second unit play better and, and help the other guys score more points that – uh, what they are right now. So, so yeah, that's that's a great point about Nuggets bench. I actually I agree with you. They, it would be good for them to have one beefy guy uh, that's able to play playoff minutes, something similar to Jeff Green and his body type. Yeah, I I don't think the Nuggets will completely uh, stay silent 
on the on the trade deadline i'm guessing they're going to make a small move of some sort and we'll see we'll see if if such a player will get a playoff minutes from michael malone let me ask you a question do you yeah. at this point would you would you use a zeke's eight million dollar poison pill this year and see if you can get a another four back that's around that price range or would you want to keep zeke and- I'm going to be honest with you. I was playing with Zeke's contract a lot lately. <laughs> like, the problem is his outgoing salary is $4 million and his incoming salary is $7, $7 million. So you really need to find a team that has some cushion under the salary cap in order to, to, to make it work. Uh, we've, we've seen the, the rumor about the Nuggets being interested in Royce O'Neal. Royce and, too, yeah. yeah, I mean Dorian Finney-Smith is a big contract. Well, Royce, I mean, Royce, yeah, yeah. Royce, yeah but sure. Royce is an excellent player. But problem with Royce is at nine point five million, mm-hmm. and in order to make that work, you would need both Zeke and possibly Reggie to pull it off. And I, I'm not sure that the Nuggets would go that far into mm-hmm. into. Although I love Royce O'Neill. Royce O'Neill is like one of the best guys in the in the locker rooms everywhere. So mm-hmm. he's the guy that that was really helping that Utah team. Well, so Baylor back, did too back in the day. I knew, I knew Royce oh, yeah. and Torian when I was at Baylor. When, this is like 2014, 15, uh, when we before we won the national championship. So they're both very good dudes. Like, and they're both obviously quality, like you know, uh, playoff players as well. I mean, Royce is a perfect example of a body type we've been talking about. A guy right. that's missing on the on the Nuggets bench. It's just that if you would have to give away. Uh, Reggie as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that. I mean, uh, maybe if Jamal plays for like 42 minutes. <laughs> nah, I wouldn't want him to do all that. I, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, but shooting yourself, you know who I wanted bad this summer, man. And people were like, "Why are you bringing his name up?" I wanted Chris Dunn because Chris oh, yeah. Dunn is a really, really good defender. He had a triple double last year, averaged like a great split the last five games of the year, and this year he's playing really well with Utah. And he's kind of that Nikhil Alexander-Walker player. He's like a player you can play next to uh, Jamal Murray that is a good defender that can – if you need him to be a ball handler, he can. But I think that's why Bruce was so important because they didn't have – Jamal was able to, like, rest. And right now, when he plays with Reggie, he can't rest on defense because he has to do everything. So I just think I would rather have someone that would be able to assist him. Reggie's been really good. I think Reggie would be better in the playoffs too just because, you know, he's 33. So I think for him it's like start the season really well. January, February, March, and then April, you kick it back in. Yeah, we, we, we can wait for him to, to be great in April again, for sure. Okay, let's let's now take a p- couple of minutes and, and talk about a guy that we don't talk about enough because it's just we have 15 guys on the roster. We need to, to speak about everybody. But Nikola Jokic has been red hot in 2024 20, uh, after the turn uh, of, the, of the calendar year. In the last 15 games, the Nuggets have been 10 and 5, which is not great, not terrible. But Nikola's efficiency is through the roof. He's at 77.5% mm-hmm. through shooting. What the hell? So the his shooting splits are 72-59-82 in this, that span. And his rebounds and assists per game are slightly lower than yeah. his season average. Is this Nikola in power saving mode, like not missing anything so he can, you know, run less? <laughs> or or is it just we're witnessing like like the greatest scorer of all time? Yeah, I think some of this is Joker is just uh 
I mean, really, honestly, we were talking outside of that one, those that stupid three game stretch he had with like the Clippers and Rockets game in it. I mean, he's doing like a 68 through shooting on the year. I think some of that really, uh, because it was so many shots. I mean, he shot like 60 times and made, I think he made like 19 shots over that period, maybe 13. It might have been 13, actually. And a lot of people were just like, man, like he's progressing. Like if he's not hitting these shots, he doesn't have his value. Well, again, I think Joker, man, is he's just in the full swing of the season. He knows he needs to, where he gets he can get to the court on. He know he knows how to get to a spot, and he just is able to shoot through contact as well. So some of this is Joker's on power saving. I, I think would agree just that just no need to expend all his energy. But then two, like the Nuggets are winning and they're winning playing team basketball. So you notice regular season when they're winning, everybody's numbers are down. Jamal, Jokic, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four points a game. You know. I think Porter's like 17, Gordon's like 14, 15, KCP's like 10, 9, and then you got Peyton, and then you got Reggie, and then you got CB. Like, they're just really diversifying how they're scoring because they don't ever want it to just be on one person. Like, unless you're playing, like, again, a Boston or like a Clippers game coming up, or probably the Bucks game, shoot, or probably that. Uh, but remember, they played versus the Bucks two years ago when the Bucks said won like 60 games. Jokic in three quarters at 18, 15, and 10, and didn't touch the four in the fourth quarter because they were up 30. So I think that's the way the Nuggets want to play. They want to be like, everybody get involved. But then once we start getting into winning time, clutch, Jamal Murray, Jokic, Porter, KCP, Gordon. And then when we get in the playoff, like Jamal Murray, Jokic, headed the snake, everybody eats off of that. And then you just run repeated actions with the horn sets, the double drags, you know, the pin down actions for Joker, the curl screens. So I think they're getting – the team involved, that, cause that's what it takes to win and beat these teams in a regular season setting, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I just wonder if they will use any of the regular season games at the end to ramp up, or are they just going to chill out <laughs> for well, got, the whole of April? Season, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the West is, to be fair, the West is better than last mm-hmm. year, more... more uh, more um, interesting than last year but more on that on the other side when we'll uh, take a short uh, walk around the association don't go anywhere okay last segment so I mentioned at the beginning of the show in my rant that Miami is ramping up for another another finals appearance they've traded uh, away Kyle Lowry and a protected first round pick and got uh, Terry Rozier back. Mm-hmm. Now they have, and this is from your tweet, actually. They have Rozier, Tyler Hero, uh, Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, Bema Adebayo, and then add to that Josh Richardson, Duncan Robinson, Jaime Hakes Jr., Kevin Love, who is playing great this season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you think they're done dealing? Or... Is this maybe enough to beat Boston, Milwaukee, on whoever is on their path? Well, that's that's the tough, man. You know, Miami doesn't like to make crazy trades, so they probably are done. I mean, they probably are done. But here's the thing. If they trade Tyler Hero, I think if they could get Marcus Smart and, like, Vince Williams for Tyler Hero plus assets, I think they would do that. Because if they have Marcus Smart and Vince Williams – Hey, uh, look out because they would have three like A level defenders with shooters around them. And so I think if they had one more move in the bag, it'd be for Tyler. But 
I mean, honestly, they can be done now. The thing is that people sleep on about Miami, man, is that everything they do in the regular season is just prepping for playoffs. Jimmy's not going to give you an A-level effort. Bam's not giving you an A-level effort. They're going to give you good games here and there, but they're mostly going to be like in kind of a lull. But when they get to the offs, their half-court offense is magical. Their half-court defense is magical. Now, if you're just more talented and you execute better than them, that's one thing. But I'm telling you, man, they're going to be a problem. Everybody's going to be looking at Jimmy Butler like, oh, he's averaging 21 now, like a 58 true shooting now. Jimmy Butler going to get to the all first round, 33 on like a 65 true shooting. Like, where did this come from? He's a great pull-up shooter in the playoffs. He gets to the rim in the playoffs. He's a great free-throw shooter. And then, bam, one of the best connected passers, a good finisher, one of the best defenders in the league. And then you get Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Caleb, and you get all Terry Rozier, and they're scoring around them and all that. And then you're getting Jaime Hawkins Jr., the rookie. They just have – and then Eric Spolster is, like, overseeing the whole project. So, yeah, man, they're going to be a nightmare for these Eastern Conference teams, and everybody should kind of ignore them. Yeah, your your trade idea for Tyler Hero is interesting. I, I have to say, I don't think Memphis would would dream of doing it because, I mean, they're super high on Vince Williams as they should be. He's he's really really good, and I don't know what Tyler Hero does on 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 Memphis after his trade. What is what is his trade value after Miami played so awesomely last year when he was injured? Like it's I it's mean, tough. Yeah. They can't, they've been asking that question for three years since they've been trying to trade him. So it's probably just going to be for two high level role players. Like, you're going to get two high level role players. And if all of them, I'm going after, shoot, I'm looking at the Nets. Like, hey, y'all, we'll give you Tyler Hero two first round picks. Give us back either Mikhail or you can give us back like Cam Johnson and Dorian Finney or something like that. And then we'll give you some assets with it too. Or you can give us some, like, how are they going to work it out? I would split Tyler Hero's contract and get two players that are of that kind of quality. Or I would throw Tyler Hero at, like, the, uh, I mean, bro, like, who? See, the issue is with Tyler is Tyler is an on ball scorer that's not a great defender. And he kind of fits the stereotypical, like, white bar, like, in terms of, like, how you see them. Like, they just, Austin Reeves is not a good defender. Tyler's better than him, and Tyler's a better player than him. But, like, do I really need a 23 points per game score that's, like, going to be mostly, like, a pull-up shooter, good pick-and-roll player? Mm, okay, I guess. Maybe. Now, he's still young. He's, like, 22, 23. or 23, I think, right now. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get some high-level role players, man. Like, anybody that I can see, the Mavericks or whoever, that got some of these dudes on the roster that, like, would just be better in a Miami Heat uniform, I would just – I would make that trade any day. Yeah, I'm just super high on Miami, and I know you are too. So I just needed to to give them a couple of minutes here. Uh, next up, Milwaukee. So they hired Adrian Griffin as a head coach this summer, and Yanis immediately threw Coach Budenholzer under the bus, saying that he's now finally allowed to guard the opposing best player, regardless of the position. Three months later, Griffin took Milwaukee to 30 and 13 record and entered the record books as a coach with the second best record to be fired after the famous David Blatt firing by LeBron in Cleveland. I believe he was like 31 and 12, something like that. Mm -hmm. So enters Doc Rivers, a guy whose golfing stories are incredibly amusing to me. What are your thoughts on on, on Doc getting a four-year deal mid-season and Yanis now as a coach killer? 
I mean, they, they had to replace him, I think, for locker room things. There was that Terry Stotts thing that happened early in the year where he tried to call out Terry Stotts in front of all the players, and Terry left because of some philosophical disagreements. Um, and Adrian Griffin, just quite simply, like, again, they, they just said they just said their relationship with the players, some of his scheme decision, it just wasn't up to par. And this is a championship or bust year for them. Like, they got Dane. You traded Drew and Atis for Dane. This is the second time. Giannis has done this. He'd ask without, like, I'm not signing a contract unless you do this. And he did this and said, give me Drew, plus, like, three first-round picks and two swaps. We did it. Now we're going to trade out for Dane and for some assets. And then they got him in. So they don't have a choice. Like, they have to get to the finals. They have to win. So I think some of this is they needed more structure. Doc Rivers does offer structure, which is why his team do really good in the regular season. Playoffs, they struggle because it's adjustments. Like, that's he just struggles with that. But in the regular season, Oh yeah, they're gonna be, they're gonna be dominant. It's like they're gonna be great. Uh, their defense should get better. To go back to like some of their little drop covers that they do. The problem is they don't have a lot of talent on the pick on the POA side. Dame's a bad defender. Malik's a bad defender. You don't think anything of Pat Connington. So I think that it's a good move for them. It's probably something they should have done in the first place if they were just gonna hire a veteran coach with championship experience. Here's my thing, Miroslav. I just don't think unless it's like Steve Kerr with Steph. And Clay and Draymond, you just need to hire rookie coaches for championship level teams. Darvin Ham should be with a young team. Yeah. Adrian Griffin's first job probably should be the young team. Like Darko got his first job with Toronto. Could you imagine Darko trying to coach the Bucks? He doesn't have any experience as a head coach. So I just think it was not a situation where he was set up to succeed. There were some locker room and scheme issues and you know, they just cut it before it got to midseason and said, look, you know, if we're going to take the L, we'll pay him for the next four years and we'll just call it a day. I really like your your uh, uh, assessment of this being their must-win season because they got Dame, who is like 34, 35. He's a six-foot-one guard, and he's going to be there for three more seasons after this one. And those are probably not going to be as good as this one. This is probably his best Best shot on on Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. He might he might be still great in a couple of years, but it's it's less uh, less probable. Okay, let's now move to to Minnesota, who is kind of slumping away. In the last five games, they've lost a game to the Thunder. Okay, that's a good team, but it was at home, and they have lost embarrassingly to the Hornets after Carl Anthony Towns broke the team by gunning for seventy points. Then. They've won two on the road against the Wizards, of course they did, and barely against the Nets, just to close uh, to to lose a game at home to the lousy Spurs. Are the Wolves slumping away? Was their great record the result of great schedule they had, or, or yeah. do they still have? I mean, some of it, yeah, for sure. I mean, they they took advantage of a schedule, which is what you're supposed to do. Uh, they were winning some really good games. But even in that stretch, River, where they went like 16 straight games versus above 500 teams, they played well. I mean, they beat the Mavericks, beat the Heat, beat the Pacers, lost to the Sixers, beat the Lakers, beat the Kings. They beat the Mavericks again. So, like, they have multiple games where they were winning versus good teams. But I think their issues are showing up now. Their defense has gotten worse the last five games, so three and two. And in those games, or two and three, rather, they gave up 129. And they gave up 112 and 117 and lost. But as we said multiple times, and if we're saying again, in a half-court offensive setting, 
They scored 106, or sorry, 106 in both of the games they lost uh, to the Knicks and the Pelicans. And then in this last game, they scored 112, gave them 113, and then they gave up 128 points to the Hornets. And they scored 97 versus the Thunder. They're always, but this is what the playoffs are going to be for them. Get keep it tight, keep it low. We got a shot. Score get high. Ooh boy, it gets it gets it gets rough out here. Cause now you're asking Jaden McDaniels and Mike Conley and Carl Anthony Towns to like repetitively get you really good shots consistently. And I think that's going to be a little bit of an issue for them. Yeah. Also, also Thunder lost the game to to Detroit Pistons today. So it it is what it is. I mean, that's a pretty embarrassing loss considering how bad Detroit has been this year, but. It just gives you a perspective of, yeah, the Nuggets lost badly to New York Knicks, you know, away game. But, you know, top teams lose games here and then. And even the best teams in the NBA history uh, lose like 20 games or more every season. So that's that, that's fine. I have an interesting comment here from Anna who said, uh, and I think it's it was when we were talking about Dame and Giannis, and still, Jokic never had a single all-star player on the team. And I have to tell you, Anna, you should be glad about this because this will be the first bullet point in Jokic's GOAT debate one day when his career is over. This is actually a great thing for his CV. So so, so don't don't be mad about that. Uh, Swiper, any, well, any closing? Yeah, Sorry. eventually uh, they will get an all-NBA player because, as always, these GOAT teams, you know, stuff happened with Steph. Mike got one. So Mike got one. Magic got one. Uh, Kareem got one. Uh, then, then Magic again. Uh, then you had Tim Duncan had another All-NBA player at one point with David Robinson. Hakeem didn't do it for two years, but then you saw what happened to them. They fell across the board. Um, Kobe had it. Shaq had one. Steph had one. Bird had a few. Wilt had one. KD had one. I'm going for my top 15 in my head. Dr. J had one. Moses Malone had one. Jokic is going to get one at some point in time. Like He can't go a whole career. And I play with another all-NBA player. So it has to happen at some point. It's so funny because all of those accolades you're mentioning are regular season accolades. Mm -hmm. And Jokic has this this amazing co-star. Yeah, he does. (laughs) That really sucks in regular season. And it's really hard for him to get over that threshold. He was like, what, seventh in in voting for the all-star game? This season, it's it's really difficult to see him uh, getting an all-star nod after those kinds of results. But who knows? Who knows? We've seen uh, stranger things happen happen recently. Okay, so that is all for today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you did, please leave a like on the YouTube video. It helps this show grow. And a positive review on the Apple podcast would also be great. And until uh, next weekend... Oh, before I let you go, do you have something you would like to to promote right now? Nah, I mean, everybody know where to find me on Swiper, YouTube, Twitter. I'll be around. They don't know. They don't know. Okay, thanks a lot, uh, Swiper, for for hanging out with me. I know you're you're, uh, traveling uh, at Denver, and uh, I really want to thank you for taking time to talk to me today. It's Sunday, so it's, it's great. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the invite, Miroslav. Really do. Thanks a lot. Okay, idemo nagetzi.